visitor with us. I heard that after I got up here. I'm very glad you're here, and I hope the services have helped help to you and, of course, all of us. But Romans chapter 3. start actually in verse 25. I really covered part of, part of 25 in the last message. And um, when we looked at, but now, all that God did, and, and, and still sort of that thought continuing, but he does go a little bit different direction with this. But in verse 25, he had said, whom God hath set forth, talking about Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. I did not concentrate too much where it got into the forbearance of God regarding the remission of sins that are past. Um, and we'll tie more into that today as that thought, as you can tell by the punctuation, will continue into verse 26. He says this, to declare... I say at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. By the way, this text completely uh, obliterates the doctrine that there's different means of salvation from Old Testament and New Testament. It's always been the same. You'll have the understanding of that by the time this message is finished. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask for your mercy, your grace, and your help this evening. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be a help and would, would strengthen and, and draw us closer to you. Please, may your spirit teach us your word tonight, Lord. Give us an understanding of, of salvation and how it works, uh, Lord, I pray your spirit would just impress upon our hearts to want to give you true glory for all that you did in order to save us. Please, I pray that you would give that enlightenment, that illumination into our hearts and into our minds of what it took in order to save us from certain judgment. Again, Lord, we love you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And again, Paul has been making the case for the, the, these three chapters on man's condemnation. Chapter 1, how he dealt with it. those who would even turn from God to idols and unto atheism and, and the results of that to those who were religious, those who were moral. It didn't matter basically who you were. As he got into chapter 3, finally concluding that every mouth may be stopped and all become guilty before God. He's been driving at that. And then he gets into the solution to it of how salvation actually works. 
works. And again, we tied into this a little bit last week as we dealt with, with some key words that were being dealt with. Words like redemption and grace and, and how all this was made possible. And, and today he's going to be looking at the idea of, again, he's going to be expounding more on how our salvation works, works especially in relation to the Old Testament, the law. Well, what about them? How did it work for them? And, and anyhow, we're going, to, we're going to dive into all that today. And, uh, and I, I brought it up several weeks ago where Job had asked a key question in Job chapter 9 and verse 2. And that is, how should a man be just with God? That is the ultimate question. How is it possible for sinful mankind to appear just, to appear right before God? And that is the ultimate question. And that is the question that Paul is answering in this portion of Romans chapter 3. How a man can be just before God. Again, listen to this today. I pray you allow your, your soul to be stirred by all that, ha- all that God has done in order to save us. You, we need an understanding of what has taken place. Uh, um, all that God did to save you from certain judgment and from a very real hell. Again, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The, the, even this past Saturday, it's, it's been rare, it seems, lately that... Uh, out on door to door, they have opportunity to actually talk to somebody. But Saturday, I did the very the, the very first door. The first door, nobody was home. The next door, I went to, um, and that man came to the door and he started asking many questions. We ended up talking. It was probably going on an hour uh, before I left his his doorstep, and and again, he asked a lot of good questions. As I got into the gospel. Um, he said he wouldn't follow a God that would send him to hell. He said, he said, how could a good and loving and merciful God ever do that? And then he, and then he switched, he started off with me that he was basically agnostic. He was a former Muslim. Now he said he believes in science and doesn't know whether there's a God or not. And then he made this statement to me. He said, I believe that, that God would be merciful and loving. And that he would not ever send him to hell. And that he wouldn't, again, would not follow a God that would send him to hell. I said, you're not understanding all that God is. I said, nor do you, are you even coming close to comprehending how great his mercy is and how great his grace is. I said, you think you can just say that God can just say to you, don't worry about your sins. I love you. You have salvation. Don't worry about judgment. I said, listen, that is not possible, nor is it right. I said to him at the door, I said, let me give you an illustration. Let's say say a man breaks in your house today, and he murders your family. And I said, he is arrested, he's taken to court, you're at the trial, and that man is found guilty of murdering your family. And I said, and the judge this arbitrarily decides, you can go free. Go free. I love you. Go free. Would you be angry? He said, yes, I would. I said, why? And then I answered the question myself. I said, you'd be angry because there was no justice. I said, what you're asking God, uh, God to, uh, and a way for God to act is a way that's against his very nature because he is just. You're asking the creator to forget who he is. 
He is just. And at that point, he stopped and listened. You see, God had to find a way, I went on to tell him, to save you. Why he was still being just. And for that to take place, it took much more mercy than what you realize. It took much more love than you realize and much more grace than you realize for him to find a way to satisfy his justice and yet save you. You see, listen to me, salvation is not a prayer. We cheapen it. That's why so many people only want to serve God. Once they make a profession of faith, they think salvation is a prayer. It took so much more than a prayer. It's not just simply saying some words and poof, somebody's saved. Understand what had to take place to be in a position where you could be saved, one, not by a prayer, but by faith. We saw last week how the role that redemption played, all right, in order for this to take place, that buying back, the role that grace was there, and how that God was the propitiation, or Christ was the propitiation, the satisfier. But again, I did not dive into the forbearance part. That will tie into today's message. Because... God did not execute justice when he could have, or perhaps, I hope you understand how I'm saying this, or maybe should have. He had forbearance. He held back what would have been a right action to perform. He demonstrated forbearance. I mean, before the cross took place, how did men avoid certain judgment in hell? Forbearance is the answer with God's mercy and grace. The title of this this evening from this portion of Romans chapter 3 is The Justifier. How this works, and we're going to look at this. If you want to write these down very quickly, I have them down in, in, in a set of M's, if you will. We're going to look at the means, the method, mankind, and then materialize. All in regards to Christ being the justifier. First off, verse 26, we have the means that the justifier used. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The holy, the just, the perfect God who loved mankind had to find a way to save us from certain judgment. The answer would come in a doctrine we call the doctrine of incarnation. God becoming a man. We see this promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The very first promise of a coming Messiah, of a Messiah who would come being born of a virgin. I want you to think about this. Satan, when he was deceiving Eve, 
when he was getting her to sin against God and then Eve giving that fruit to Adam and Satan's limited mind and the limited wisdom he had. You see, what, what Satan was clear on was certain key things. There were certain key truths that he knew very well. Like God is holy. Like God is just. He understood that. I mean, he was a recipient of God's justice with where he was at that moment. And in his mind, at that moment, if he could get them to sin against God, he thought it was ruined. Why? Because God is just. And he can't change it. Sin has consequences. And Satan knew, I think, in his own wisdom, he was thinking there would be no way out of this. There would be nothing man could do. But then all of a sudden, as God is speaking to Adam, he wasn't struck down dead. This promise is given in Genesis 3.15. I guarantee that had Satan going, hmm, what is he planning? How can he possibly get around this? What Satan wasn't seeing, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That God in his sovereignty, who already knew everything that would happen, he knew what he would do in order to save man while still being just. For that to take place, There was only one means of salvation that was going to be possible. God himself would have to become man. Satan never saw the incarnation coming, I promise you, when he was in the garden. It never even occurred to him that God would humble himself and put on flesh and he himself become a man. I mean, what grace and what love. The means in which the justifier could, uh, could produce a, 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 a justified mankind would be the very righteousness of the God-man, Jesus Christ. You see, as we know, God would become flesh. He would live the perfect life. He would live the life that man was intended to live. He would live perfection. The only one who's ever lived on the earth that actually fulfilled the law where God the Father could say, you are innocent. He lived the righteous life. He lived the life that was needed for salvation. He lived the life man needed, yet man himself was incapable of living. It would be through this man's righteousness. It would be his perfect life that would allow for the setup of salvation to take place. It wasn't enough. Just him living the perfect life. But I assure you, as as time and history went on, obviously Satan knew God had a plan. He knew it from Genesis chapter 3.15. Wait, this isn't ruined yet. God is doing something. And as the progressive revelation occurred, even he learned more on how to try and thwart this and how to try and stop this. And then, after he lived a perfect life, the most important event 
since creation itself would take place. And that is the cross. That is the cross because of what would happen on that day. It would be in that moment, on that day, that God would satisfy justice. Understand this. When we say Christ died for you, but I want you to think about this. What Christ was satisfying that day was not man. What God was satisfying was God. In order to save us. He would be the propitiation. It would be there that justice would be served. It is here that God will take that perfect life of His Son and He will become as if the sinner. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And at that moment, He will be judged to satisfy justice. This can leave us with a few questions. We see salvation is made possible through the cross, but how was it obtained? All right? We can see what God did through the cross in order to save mankind. That we understand that on that cross and with how brutal it was and, 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 and all that took place from the suffering in the garden, the, the, the blood that was even being shed there, to the beating that took place, the crucifixion. I mean, all this was God placing uh, uh, sin upon His Son and God judging Him in mankind's place. Being because He was the perfect Son of God, because He was God in the flesh, and, and, the, and, and how He's not even in time that that would be enough to satisfy the justice of the perfect God for all the sins of mankind. But how was it obtained? I mean, that's the means. And the debate still rages today about how was that obtained. The devil attacks right there. The answer is given. It is through faith. It is through faith. Which brings us to number, point number two, the method, faith. Let's look at verse 26. The very end of it. And the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus, where is boasting then it is excluded by what law? Of works nay, but, the law, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude... That a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So redemption, propitiation, the grace that was needed, it's all in place because of the death of Jesus Christ, because of His blood that was shed. And here is the, here is the method in which it is applied to mankind, that is faith. It's all of God. It is the only way that's even possible. As he points out here, one, no man can boast. No man can say, look what I have done. You come to God as a humble sinner, realizing your desperate need of salvation, that you have no hope of yourself, seeing what Christ did, making that decision to place your faith in Him. This also shows us what not to look for to see if you are saved. 
I don't believe you look for outward moral action. The Pharisees had plenty of that. I don't think you look for intellectual knowledge. The devils believe and tremble. I don't think you look for religious involvement. Judas was active in ministry. Oh, I think, but there are things the Bible tells us to look to. First and foremost is you, and it's not difficult, it's not, having that clear testimony of hearing the gospel and making the decision to place your faith in Christ alone. It starts there. But obviously, that's, I don't know if that's necessarily, uh, I mean, if, you, if you're looking for indicators, the Bible gives others. One, I believe, is a love for God. A genuine love for God. We can look at several verses. Good in the first John for that in several places. Even Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8 that we're going to get into that deals with the carnal mind, which is the enemy of God, if you will, versus somebody who's saved where there should be a love for God present. Another clear indication of salvation is a brokenness over sin. You'll never get to a place of sinless perfection in your life. But for a person who is saved, the sin you want rid of, the sin is something that, that, that's a struggle in your life. It, it's, it's not that you, you're content with it or the, that, 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 you know, it, it's, it's, it's a difficulty, it's a challenge, you want rid of it. You resent it, you, you try and resist it. Thirdly, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, a changed life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all things are become new. And lastly, let me just give one more here on this. I believe humility. Just like the prodigal son when he finally came to himself and realized, man, what have I done? So the method, it's the only one that makes sense at all for all this to occur because it's of God. He is the justifier. It was declaring his righteousness that is going to save mankind. The life that he lived and that he went to the cross to satisfy justice. And God says, listen, that salvation is obtained by one means and that is faith. He goes on in verse 29 and 30. And this is the mankind. Or it's for all of mankind. It's the same way. There is not different means of salvation. Listen to what he says here. Well, verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified just before God by faith without the deeds of the law. We're going to cover the law more. The last point is going to be the one I have to develop the most. Without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Jew, Gentile, all of mankind. It is the same way. Now listen, it's always been the same way. 
this is almost one of the points he's really making, going back to verse 25, dealing with his statement about sins of the past and the forbearance of God until this time could come of the cross. All are justified by faith. For those who, all who come to God, Christ by faith, are justified. It is through faith. That is, that is that method that God has chosen in order to save us. To allow the death of Christ to become effectual for us. And it's for all of man. And then, where I need to spend a little bit more time in tying all this together, is with verse 31. Do we then make void... The law through faith. God forbid. By the way, the wording that's used there, it's, it's always interesting, is the strongest no you can give in the language. The strongest one is what he chose to use there. No. We establish the law. This one I entitled to materialize. What I mean by that is to make clear. What, what, what Paul is driving at here, and he's going to really get into this in chapter 7, is that, no, it's through all of this that it is so picture-perfect clear what the law was all about. What the moral law, what the ceremonial law, what that was all about. We can see it all now. Because arguments will come against Paul. He's going to be accused of that antinomianism, that he's against the law. Just like many times we're accused of once we saved, we believe once a person is saved, he can never lose his salvation. And that is impossible. Once you're born again, you are born again. We're not made perfect in the flesh. But he knew the arguments would come. He's against the law. He's against holiness. He's not in any way. Yet what happened on the cross and through the life of Christ on this earth makes so clear what the law was actually all about. Paul himself did not have the right understanding. He's going to admit that in chapter 7. He said, what I thought was unto life was actually unto death. So let's dive into this a little bit. So, if the law did not save the Old Testament saints, how do they obtain salvation? The bigger question is this. How did God remain just and yet salvation occurred? The key, of course, is going to be that word forbearance that was in verse 25. God had to, if we can even use the Passover, pass over, if you will, sins, tolerate. Acts 17.30 talks about this, where in times past God winked at their ignorance, but now commands a man everywhere to repent. But how can a just God not judge sin? How can he overlook it? How can he not punish sin and still be just? Of course, many times our thoughts go to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. But that's simply not true. They certainly had a part in this process, as we're going to try and develop here. But they could not do what needed to be done. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. 
I want you to look at two verses here. Verse 4 and verse 14. It says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It will go on to talk about the sacrifice of Christ. Look at verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. It was not possible for the sacrifice of those animals to take away sin. Not at all. There was never an animal sacrifice that could satisfy, that could propitiate the judgment and justice of God. But again, how can God declare righteous an unrighteous sinner? How can he forgive sin and still be just? Now, what about the Old Testament saints? Again, all this is solved in Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Let's, let's turn there. Verse 13 says this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. First Peter, I'm, you don't have to turn there, I'm already there. Chapter 1, verse 18, a verse many of us could quote, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. He was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the one that could remove the curse that was under us as a result of the law. Now, it's interesting the sacrifices that did take place in the Old Testament. How they pointed to what was to come. How they were the shadow and never the substance. Let's look at two. Two of them. All right? They were performed a lot. The sin offering and the burnt offering. All right? It's amazing what those pictured what was to come. It was not possible for those sacrifices to take away sin. It was not the propitiation that was needed. But God had to have something in place to allow for forbearance until the perfect sacrifice could happen. So the sin offering, the lamb would come. Remember, the hand would be placed upon the animal for an identification of a transference, if you will, a picture of a transference of the vileness of the man for the sin offering placed unto the lamb. All right? The burnt offering, it, it ties it all together. The burnt offering 
A lamb is involved, the identification is involved, but it's reversed. It is the pureness of the lamb to the vileness of the sinner. Picturing what would come in, picturing 2 Corinthians 5.21. Picturing that, that Christ would be made sin for us and we would receive his righteousness. God was establishing in place through the ceremonial law, all that was there, all that one day would transpire when the ultimate true sacrifice would come that would actually serve as the propitiation for the sins of mankind. And God, in his justice, determined, I, I can use forbearance until such a time that it comes. All those prior will be saved still by faith that never changed. Faith in what was to come. Remember when Christ died, of course, we all know what took place. The veil tore in half. It's done. There's no, there's no more need for animal sacrifices to picture what is to come. It's over with. The perfect sacrifice has come. It is done. It is finished. And it pictured it perfectly. So God used in forbearance to withhold judgment till he himself would become a man to satisfy justice. The perfect offering in Jesus Christ had come to take away sin. Again, this is why the veil tore. This is why there was no more need for the shadow. It is God's plan of salvation. I mean, this, this, this method, this means, all that God put together. Think about this. In, if you've had any classes on world religion, from whether it's the Muslim religion, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism, the Eastern religions, to the different breakaways even within Christianity, I mean, this is the only one that makes any sense for man to be saved. That actually supplies the answers before a holy and a just God. It is, the, it is in the cross that Christ, through his life that he lived, through the cross that he fulfilled the law. It makes it so clear why it exists. It shows us, as we look at the law, that we can never obtain salvation on our own. We fall very, very short. That that standard, the moral standard... We could never live up to. There are those who think they can. The rich young ruler thought he could. Could he not? Oh, I have kept all these from my youth up. And Christ knew how vile he was. But he didn't. I mean, understand, that man wasn't being a hypocrite when he said He believed it. He believed, no, I'm really him, a good guy. I, I have genuinely lived a pure life. That's what he thought in his own eyes. So Christ, in, in a sentence, was going to show him what a coveter and idolater that he really was. Really? You've kept them all? Good, 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 good. Here, then you won't have any problem with this one. Go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. You see, his life wasn't all about God. It wasn't even close. It wasn't about loving God. It wasn't about glorifying God. Oh, no. No, no, no. And it hit what actually had him. 
no doubt when that hit, the conviction would have set in. The right response would have been to fall on his face and say, Lord, please be merciful to me, a sinner. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. I want to read some more verses here, starting in verse number 8 now. And I'll finish here. Let's look at the, the true purpose of the law. It was never, ever a means of salvation, just like so many hold to today. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In these shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as, many are, uh, for as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the books of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That's the means of justification. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now jump over to verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. To bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You see, the whole purpose of that was to show man his need. One, that, he's, that he is guilty. That, that when he looks at himself compared to the perfect moral law of God, of the Creator Almighty, who... It's not just that he determines morality, he certainly does. But because he is the creator, he is the all-knowing God, he is the all-powerful God. I mean, he he is the only one that knows what is moral and what is not. And so he provided that to say, listen, this is actually the moral standard. Of which man looks at it and says, but I fall very short of that. Yes, you do. It's why you need salvation. Therefore, the law is your schoolmaster. The law is your teacher to show you, you need salvation. You need Christ. And then when you see, okay, well, why do I need him? Because of what he did on the cross. Because he became a propitiation. What he suffered for you, when he became sin, would satisfy the justice of the Creator. That that would be the means to declare you righteous. That he would allow a transaction to take place that met the standard of justice to place upon you the perfect life of a man that he himself lived. While taking on the life that you lived and facing your judgment. And he went through that wretchedness. He went through the horrors and the sufferings of that cross to satisfy, to be the propitiation 
of the holy and righteous God who was even hanging on the cross. That's what it took to save you. That the Creator, in His mercy, was willing to humble Himself to become a man. To have somebody that could fulfill the law that would enable Him to satisfy justice so that He could save you and declare you righteous because you're not righteous of your own. And the means of that is faith. Listen to me. It was since Adam and it is now. They had shadows of what was to come. But the ultimate sacrifice had not happened yet. That is what took away the sin of the world. And only that. That is what produced salvation. The law itself was never a means to salvation. Again, when we end up getting into chapter 7, he's really going to elaborate on that. How, again, as I've already mentioned, how he himself, when he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, misunderstood the commandment. What he thought was unto life. What he thought was the means of salvation certainly was not. But we'll tie them with every head bowed and every eye closed.